In most of our careers, we can look back to a handful of people that really shaped our direction and our path. And without them, we probably wouldn't be doing what we are. And for me, one of those people is Beverly Carmichael. Beverly was the CHRO of Southwest Airlines, Ticketmaster, Cracker Barrel, and Red Robin. And more importantly for me, she was my boss and mentor at Ticketmaster. And in this episode, we're going to talk about her career path, how that has evolved, but then really focus on uh, our relationship. It was really interesting to be able to have somebody that has been such a instrumental part of my own career on the podcast. And so I think anybody who's worked with Beverly and knows her, loves her, she to me was you know really representing 21st century HR before I even knew what that was. So I am thrilled to share this episode with all of you, and we're going to get into that after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called the Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, All right, we're recording. I'm going to grab support. some water and then I'll come right back. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey everyone, welcome to 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and this is an episode that I've really been excited about from the moment that I launched this particular podcast. Uh, I think if I look back on my own career, there's been several pivotal moments that have really kind of shaped my path, and I think for me, none of them have been more transformative and kind of impactful on my own career than when I started working for Beverly Carmichael. Uh, Beverly is the was at that time the uh, head of HR, the chief human resources officer for Southwest Airlines. I was running global recruiting at Ticketmaster, and we brought her over to Ticketmaster, and she became my boss. So this is a special episode uh, that's really going to focus on mentorship development and uh, and really kind of taking listeners along a walk down memory lane from uh, from me and my favorite mentor. So Beverly, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just give listeners just a, a brief introduction on your background. Yeah, Lars. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, you are a very big deal these days, and I'm so excited to, <laughs> to, to be on your show, literally. Uh, well, you know, uh, I uh, HR was not my first career. I actually um, started my career... Uh, I worked, believe it or not, I worked in the oil field. I worked for an oil company for uh, about eight years after I graduated from college. And then I decided to go to law school. Uh, a lot of people do that mid, mid-career, so, so to speak. And I did that. I worked for uh, a law firm for about five or six years. And then I uh, went in-house and worked uh, at Southwest Airlines as the head uh, labor and employment lawyer there and I was there for uh, ten years, so uh, I've—that's uh, actually where I started uh, into in HR, and I have been doing HR in some form or fashion ever since. 
Yes, so that, you know, I think when you when you look back and you think about some organizations that are just renowned for people practices, you know, Southwest Airlines is certainly in that conversation. I think they probably led that conversation for a long time. And, you know, you had this interesting kind of path where you obviously moved from kind of a, a, a legal role into an HR role for the first time at Southwest Airlines. So what, what was that transition for you like when you when you kind of made the switch or I, I believe actually you kind of oversaw both for a while. So when your your scope broadened to include HR at Southwest, what was like that what was that kind of process like for you? Yeah, you know, actually it was uh, it, it was interesting. My path, as I mentioned, really wasn't a, the traditional one like uh, a lot of folks, but the the way I got into HR really was the uh, the product of a conversation, frankly, a, a conversation about development, a conversation about succession planning. Um, the president of the company and the then head of HR. Uh, had a, uh, we just, I think we went to lunch and they asked me, you know, have you ever thought about a career in HR? And, um, you know, I had been, at that time, I'd been a lawyer, been uh, at Southwest for about seven years. And the answer actually was no, I had never thought about HR. Uh, And they said, well, you know, we're just, this is really about thinking about succession. And we think that you uh, might be uh, a, a potential successor for uh, the head of HR, and but we want to, you know, gauge your temperature for it. And uh, I specifically remember they said, but this is not like you have to make a decision. I remember the head of HR said, listen, <laughs> I'm not leaving. Uh, don't get any ideas. I'm not leaving. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they did say, you know, what we have... Uh, what we have observed and gotten to know you over the years was number one, that you really have a passion for people. Uh, Clearly I was working at a company that's known for its people that really puts its people first and doesn't just uh, have it on the wall or whatever. They literally do put their people first. Uh, I had, and they, we talked about this made built relationships with people throughout the company, uh, all at every level throughout the company. And they said, you know, these are the types of things that we look for in our executives and frankly, the types of things that we look for uh, in people to lead HR. And, uh, and so because I didn't have to make a decision at that time, I certainly kept myself, my mind open about it. I remember even going to as I would you know, be in meetings and what have you, thinking about what if I was on the other side of the table? What if I was the, uh, you know, the HR person? Uh, I thought about budget responsibility for a big department. I thought about you know, leading a team of, at that time, I don't know, I think there were 300 or so people in HR. Um, I thought about, frankly, being one of the critical culture ambassadors for this company that was known for its culture. Um, And sure enough, in about 18 months, uh, she did leave. The head of HR did leave, got promoted and went to another company. And I realized that, uh, you know, during that 18 months, I had been thinking about thinking about making this change Uh, when the job was posted. 
I applied for it, so they didn't just give it to me. A lot of people think succession planning is about promising you a particular job, it, but it is not. It's really about getting you to think about and preparing perhaps for the next job. And uh, I posted for the job, I interviewed for the job, and, uh, and I got the job. And I was excited. It was one of the most pivotal, pivotal points in my career. And uh, as I said, I've been in HR uh, in some form or fashion ever since. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk about uh, your transition over to Ticketmaster. You know, it's funny. I vividly remember when our CEO at the time, Sean Moriarty, was, was recruiting you uh, over to Ticketmaster. And he reached out to me. And at the time, I was running uh, recruiting for Ticketmaster. And he asked me to interview you. And it was you know, the first time in my career that I had, had was interviewing a potential boss. And I'm just curious, like, what do you remember that conversation? What do you what do you actually remember about that? Yeah, I, I remember the conversation. Uh, what do you remember about it? It's, it, it, it? I do remember it, but why don't you go for it? That sounds like sounds like a trick question. Yeah, well, I remember I was nervous as hell. Um, you know, it's funny. so for listeners, obviously that uh, you know you don't know our history. So at the time, I was LA, Ticketmaster is based in LA. Uh, I had been there for three years, and my wife got a job in Northern Virginia. So I moved to Virginia and was actually kind of running the recruiting team remote. So I decentralized the team, um, put a recruiter in Chicago and a recruiter in New York, and the rest of the team was in LA. And so. You know, one, I was I was nervous. I knew that that you know my geographical uh, position was uh, not ideal, right? Like I, I imagined, like you maybe would have wanted to come in and build your own team, and certainly the idea of having the person running the core team that's based in LA on the other coast uh, was probably you know not not that exciting. But I just remember being really nervous and wanting to make. Uh, I was so so much thinking about wanting to make a a good impression on you at that point that I was, you know, I was competent. I knew what I was doing. Uh, and, you know, ultimately through that, you know, hoping to keep my job. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely remember that. What, uh, what, what, what about you? Well, uh, here's what I remember. So the first thing, and you may or may not know this part, um, you know, when I was talking with Sean, Sean Moriarty was the CEO at the time. And one of our conversations was that, you know, one of the things he said to me was, Beverly, we, uh, you know, at, at Ticketmaster, this is a really good company, but I want it to be a great company. And he said, he also said that the people really like it here, but I want them to love it. And he said, I need a, an HR partner uh, with me on this journey to make that happen. And so, first of all, that was one of the, that, that was music to my ears. You can imagine any HR person hearing a CEO talk like that. That was music to my ears. But the, the yeah. thing that, the thing that he, I, I said to him uh, in the process is, I'd like to meet some of the people on the team. You can pick who they are, but I just want to meet some people on the team. I want to know kind of where we are, how, you know, how far away are we from, uh, being a company that's great and being a company where everybody really loves to work there. And I wanted, I, frankly, I wanted to meet some of, meet my team. And so of course he, you were one of the people he picked. And uh, I do remember sitting in the room with you and I remember you were, I, I don't know that I noticed that you were nervous, but I knew, I noticed that you were very, very serious. Oh man, and, I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous. 
Well, I mean, and so in uh, really what I wanted to do, frankly, uh, you know, call it an interview or whatever, but all I really wanted to do was to get, to have a conversation. I wanted to get to know you. Yeah. I wanted you to get to know me. And, uh, I, but I remember feeling a little bit grilled, I feel, feel a little <laughs> bit interrogated. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I felt like I wanted to do more to uh, in the in that in that whole thing to make you a little bit more comfortable uh, to just have let's have a conversation and and I, I, I you know clearly you know this and I, I've seen you do it but interviews really are conversations you know yeah. I, they they really should not be an interrogation and neither party should right. should, should feel interrogated and 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 of course. The other part, and uh, clearly you know this, uh, but they really are two-way conversations. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, a lot of hiring managers say that, um, that this is a two-way conversation. You know, we're, we're, we're interviewing each other, but all too many times, you know, in an hour, hour interview, uh, They'll ask you, ask the candidate questions for 50 minutes, and then they'll say, oh, hey, by the way, do you have any questions? <laughs> do you have a singular question <laughs> yeah, to ask Yeah, us? you have. We got 10 yeah. minutes. What do, you, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> right. you know? And uh, that, that is not good. That is not good for any, anyone. But I do remember the conversation. I do remember liking you very much, and I remember uh, looking forward to, to working with you, and uh, it's, it's been great all these years. So, you know, you, you came on and it's funny, I, for whatever reason, like I really vividly remember your, your onboarding and just the impression you made on not just the team, the, the HR team, but, but the company. And you just brought this, this energy and passion and intelligence and, you know, humility, um, but also a bit of swagger. Uh, with you when you came in, it just set this. You had swagger. You came in and like you just had what what I what I really admired about you, and I think this is why that you know the team just rallied around you is you just came in and you're like, I think you know at that time HR as a discipline you know wasn't always the you know and, and obviously varies from organizations, but you know it wasn't always the most um, you know, respected organization. There's a lot of personnel mm -hmm. kind of legacy to the function. And, um, and so there's a lot of HR leaders that were kind of bookish or, or, or sheepish. And you are none of that. You just came in and owned it. You just, you, you had this presence that I think immediately the team could look at and be like, okay, like, okay, this is, this is, this is something special that we're going to be building now. And I'm just like, when you think back to your kind of first 90 days and your onboarding process, like what do, uh, do, do any memories stand out to you? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I was very excited about this opportunity, and uh, I, you know, I, I obviously I was aware that there would be some challenges. Frankly, that was one of the reasons I was excited about going. But I was very excited about taking on this new role, and candidly, I think, you know, any new leader who comes to uh, an organization, if they're not excited about it. I don't know, maybe they shouldn't be, maybe they should have taken that job. You know? right. So I do remember people kind of feeling that way. And it made me think, my goodness, maybe people, you know, kind of reluctantly take, take jobs, but it shouldn't be that way. And uh, the other thing that probably my most vivid memory was, um, was how welcoming this organization and the team was to me. 
And, you know, that's another thing that works both ways. Uh, you know, all too often, I think people think that when the new leader comes in, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, they just, you know, they are supposed to stand back and see what the new leader wants to do and what have you. And uh, um, that didn't happen uh, at Ticketmaster. I felt very welcome. I felt like we were going to do this together. And I felt like, and you mentioned this earlier, I felt like I had a real onboarding. Uh, a lot of, comp most companies do some sort of onboarding for their employees, but many companies, many companies, far too many companies don't do any onboarding for their leaders and certainly not their executives. And I think that's a real mistake. I did get that at uh, Ticketmaster and I think that set us off on a very good foot. And, um, uh, and I think that's why it all worked out. You know, it's funny. One of the one of the distinct memories I have during your onboarding process, and you know, you you may or may not remember this, but we had a uh, one of the things that I think we're probably maybe six weeks in, maybe eight weeks, and um, I was having a, a global offsite for my team. You know, because we had all the recruiters, and uh, and even at that point, you know, uh, HR business partners who oversaw some of the global operations, like they were kind of de facto recruiters, so they were part of the meeting as well. And you came in and you kind of give, give a talk. Um, and then you asked us like, what do you need? What, you know, what do you need? What will help you? Um, what can I do? What can I bring that's going to help you make the most impact in recruiting? And there was something that we had been fighting for for years, uh, which was our vacation policy. You know, we had a pretty strict and, uh, you know, normal uh, vacation policy around, you know, two weeks for most people. And you had to be there five week, five years to get to three weeks. And, you know, we were recruiting a lot of engineering talent, a lot of tech talent, and that just mm -hmm. wasn't competitive uh, for mm -hmm. them. And we we found we actually lost a lot of candidates because of the vacation policy. And so we said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we could, here's our wish list. We have one request. Like if we could bump up the starting vacation package to three weeks for all employees, that'll make a huge difference. And I'll never forget, you know, we proposed that. It was kind of a pie in the sky thing. We're like, you know, probably not going to get that. Maybe, maybe she'll be able to get it done for some teams. And literally within a week, you came back and it was done. And it was, you know, I don't remember the exact number you might, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in cost to make this happen. And this thing that we've been fighting for years to get done, you made happen in a week. And I'm just curious you know, if, you're, if you remember that moment, you know, why was it so important for you to kind of fast track and deliver that and, and make an immediate impact so quickly? Yeah, you know, I do remember that, uh, but it really wasn't a, so much about that particular thing. What I remember is how passionate the team was about what they needed. And uh, again, I think leaders um, often come with their plan all baked before they ever even talk to the team to ask them, what do you need? And I, I do remember the conversation. I, spe I specifically remember, you know, asking, you know, do people like, how hard is it to recruit here? Do people like coming here? Do people like, you know, do you, do you, I mean, how hard is it? And I remember uh, the team, you know, universally agreeing that people really like to come work here. Uh, we really don't have a problem attracting talent. 
Uh, but I remember them specifically saying, but when we get ready to close the candidate, we kind of slink down in our chair when we have to talk about benefits and about vacation in particular. And I remember asking, well, why is that? And that's when they told me, like, well, we have this policy where everybody, no matter who you are, where, whatever level, whatever, everybody starts with two weeks vacation. And I remember the passion of the team that says, look, but saying to me, you know, we're hiring, um, you know, a lot of mid-career people, people who are, uh, you know, very specialized skills, talent that we need. And they, wherever they are, they got three or four weeks vacation and we got to tell them we got two weeks. And um, I felt the real passion and frankly, just hearing that, I knew how that could create a real roadblock for the team. And so one of the things, I, as we talked about it, what I saw is that you all had all of the reasons why we needed to change the policy and I think what you probably didn't have fully baked is just really a full business case about why this is so important and why this makes good business sense to do it. And, uh, and you know, all, you, you mentioned all the reasons. I mean, a lot of times we do lose, we were losing our preferred candidates. A lot of times the, you know, the, the length or the time to hire was extended unnecessarily. Uh, and I think one of the things that I think whether, and I believe you all talked about it, but sort of this suffering a little bit of a reputational uh, harm by just having this policy and, and leaving the impression that this was a company that was sort of behind the times and didn't care about being competitive. Um, all of those things. And then to me, the worst thing, and I think I learned this later, I don't know if you all actually told me this or admitted this to me. But what I also learned was that a lot of hiring managers were just negotiating extra vacation kind of <laughs> under the table. Remember? Right. I mean, that that was happening. And I felt like that just did such a disservice to the HR department because it sent the message to the candidate. You know, the HR department here is out of touch or they can't get important things done for us. All of that. And I remember... Uh, you know, you all putting together the business case for our executive team and for Sean and um, in such a way that it was uh, indisputable that we needed to do it. And we did do it. I remember you doing a lot of the heavy lifting to get it done. And uh, it made a huge difference uh, in, in our hiring, in our reputation uh, externally and certainly uh, our reputation uh, internally, and it was uh, it was terrific. And I give a lot of credit to our executive team and to our CEO for just listening to it and understanding why this was right for the business, and uh, we made it happen. Yeah, and I I just I still remember like the fact that it happened the fact that it happened at all, let alone happened so quickly. Uh, I think we all just, I mean, we, you had us at that point. We were like, okay, we'll run through a wall for, you know, for Beverly for getting this done for us because it just, it just set a tone that, uh, uh, how we were going to operate, uh, as an organization and as a yeah. team. And so, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things I'm actually, I'm curious about, I'd mentioned kind of in the lead in for the show that when you came in, um, you know, I was essentially remote and this was, God, this is probably the, you know, mid two thousands where, you know, remote work wasn't that uh, popular. That didn't, you know, didn't certainly wasn't what it is today. And 
And uh, not only was I remote, but I was a remote leader. You know, I had my, the bulk of my team was in LA uh, and I wasn't. And, you know, as I mentioned, like I had this running fear that, uh, that you would be letting me go because, you know, LA has got tons of talent. There's lots of uh, great recruiting leaders in LA and, you know, you didn't need to, you know, kind of keep my situation and having me remote, uh, but you did. And I've never asked you, so it's going to be fun to uh, I, I put you on the spot here, uh, the podcast for the first time. But like, why did you keep me? Why, uh, why, why did you not uh, decide to, you know, just kind of go in your own backyard in L.A. And, and bring somebody in that could have been on site? Wow, you mean I could have let you go and I didn't? No. <laughs> There's no time machine. It's no, too late now. No, no, it's too late now. No, uh, seriously, I uh, I do remember Sean telling me as he as he was sharing with me, uh, you know, about the team. I do remember him telling me that the head of our talent acquisition team lived in D.C. and of course we were all in L.A. and I'm thinking, wow, that's three time zones away, you know, and. Uh, and here's what he said to me, and he, you, you, you alluded to it earlier. He said, you know, Lars was here, and uh, for uh, family reasons, he needed to move to D.C. And he said to me, I'll never forget this, he said, Lars is really good, Beverly. And uh, before, before I just said, you know, no, uh, I felt like we should give it a try. And he said, you know, but now that you're here, I want you to feel free to do whatever you think is the right thing. And, um, you know, candidly, it never, this may surprise you, but it never occurred to me uh, to let you go. It never occurred to me that this wouldn't work. My mind was completely open. And I wanted to see if it, you know, if it works, I I mean, it didn't matter to me. I, you know, my, I'm not a, as, as, as I said earlier, you know, I'm not a, I didn't grow up with a lot of HR legacy thinking. So I don't know that I thought that that was uh, all that odd. And I don't, I, I guess I've never run HR by thinking of, you know, there's just rules that you got to go by, whether they make sense or not, just because they're written down somewhere. And uh, after watching you and your team perform. Um, uh, I was so impressed with the talent acquisition uh, function at the company. I mean, I we were competing uh, for talent against the likes of Google and uh, Facebook, and I think they. Yeah, I know. I know all of the tech company Yahoo. Yeah. I mean, you guys. We were. I mean, it's you know. I would say technology talent was probably the most predominant uh, area that we that uh, that we hired for, and I remember how you guys were just killing it. And far be it for me to disrupt that. I think the only thing that uh, uh, you know I would have just wished was to just spend more time with you face to face because I do remember this is that, and I believe your arangement was that you would come to LA. You know, maybe once a month for a week or so. And yeah, I just yeah, it's remember- been a week a month out there. Yeah, yeah, and I just remembered how how much fun we all had, and how uh, you know, I think I said this once time to you. I said, you know, everything just seems better when Lars is around. But I I I felt like that if we had the benefit of your leadership and your talent, and you were able to 
have the uh, situation at, at, uh, in your family that uh, worked for you, uh, it certainly worked for me. And so I, I literally never, never even thought about, never considered um, uh, letting you go and hiring somebody there. Never. Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. And, and I think one of the things that, uh, that I always kind of looking back, I think, and, and it's, it's interesting, like we, we've obviously we've, we've become you know, great friends. We've, we've been in touch. We've collaborated on different projects since then. But I remember even early on, there was a, a point where we would always have really candid conversations around career and kind of what I wanted to do. And uh, there is a, a point in time where I was like, I, I want to do what you do. You know, I want to, I want to kind of go down that CHRO path. And uh, I, I distinctly remember like project after project, you were just giving me new kind of teams, new responsibilities that, um, that stretched me in ways that I didn't think I could stretch or I didn't know I could stretch. And I think some of those projects at times were so daunting. I was like, what the hell? I, what is she doing? Like, how am I going to do this? I've never, I don't have any idea how to do this. So like now I have this giant responsibility. I'm just like, where did that where did that confidence, I mean, I think for me, like uh, all of that work certainly is, was incredibly formative that really put me on the path that I'm on now. And like, I'm just curious, like looking back now, what did you, where did you find that confidence in me that, uh, that I, I certainly didn't have when I was thinking about some of those stretch assignments? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I did have tremendous confidence in you. Uh, I, I, I absolutely did. I think that um, you know, conversations about uh, what I've found over the years is people really want to have conversations about what they want to do next, what their aspirations are. And I think leaders uh, really need to make room and make time and make it a priority to have those conversations with leaders. And I distinctly remember you I believe you probably initiated it, which I was very impressed with as well. But just to say, listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on HR. I want to go as far as I can and I want you to know it. And, you know, hopefully uh, people have, have a boss like that, have someone that can have a good conversation with them and then help facilitate whatever it is they need to do to prepare for it. And uh, so by that probably by the time we were having that conversation, I could see that you had uh, talent that, uh, and potential that uh, could take you far beyond just talent acquisition. And uh, leaders always need to be thinking succession planning. Remember my conversation? Remember what yeah. we talked about earlier that you know Colleen Barrett and Libby Sartain had that conversation with me about succession and developing me. And what, what are your interests? And so I was so excited uh, to hear that from you, and I was excited to partner with you and, and uh, to be able to prepare you for that. There was a lot of work to do. We had a very lean staff. Uh, there was a lot of work to do, and, and we wanted to take it to another level. Remember, Sean wanted it to be a great company, wanted people to, to love it there. And so we had a lot of work to do. So. I do remember um, giving you many assignments and all uh, many in many different areas and things that you hadn't done before and a couple of them things I hadn't done before. And, uh, but I had confidence in you. Uh, I, didn't, 
I didn't actually, I didn't realize that you were, uh, you know, you, you had shaken confidence at any point because, uh, you seem to have faith in yourself. I didn't give up on you ever. Uh, and I don't think you ever, you did either on your, on yourself. I remember, uh, you know, feedback, giving you some feedback on them and things that are things that are new and different that you haven't done. Uh, and people do make mistakes. I think that that's the other thing. Leaders have to give people room to grow and to grow often means they're going to make a mistake and that needs to be okay. You give them feedback, you help them where, where they need help and you keep moving. And, uh, I think that's what, uh, I, you know, I think you kept going cause I know, you know, I never, uh, lost confidence in you and, uh, and, uh, look at you now, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think what I remember is I kind of, as I replay that, I think on the, on the talent acquisition side and the recruiting side, I was mm-hmm. highly confident, you know, mm-hmm. and probably, you know, in some cases looking back, like I could have used a little more humility. You know, I thought that uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, we did, we, we were crushing it. We had, uh, we were hitting our numbers. Uh, the team was just, I loved that team. I loved every person on that team. Like it was just mm-hmm. an incredible group. Um, but as you started stretching me and kind of giving me new responsibilities and, you know, performance management. And, uh, I, I know we, we had a lot of, uh, late night crowd Royal nights with the performance mm-hmm. management, uh, at a, at a certain moment in time. Oh yeah. But, I remember. <laughs> but I think like, uh, it, it was those things where I'm just like, holy shit, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Like I'm, I'm learning. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that I, because you had so much confidence in me, like I fed off that and I probably did a good job of masking my own insecurity because I didn't want to let you down. But I was, uh, yeah, I would just remember, like, there were so many things. I still remember the, the one moment that really stands out is after the, uh, you know, we, we agreed to merge with Live Nation and that went under regulatory review for a year. And when that finally got signed, you know, one of the things that you had given me was creating a new internal comms function. And so when the merger happened and they started actually getting the execution phase, they were like, well, we don't have an internal comms person. Oh, cool. You do. Hey, Lars, like you're going to run internal comms for, you know, multi-billion dollar merger. Yeah. And like, that was horrifying. I was like, I, what the, this is, I'm so unqualified to do this. Like I have no idea. And so I I had to sleep this night and then, you know, and it all worked out. Uh, But I think a lot of it, you know, for me, when I lost faith, seeing that you never did and that you believed in me, I think that that gave me a lot of juice to overcome my own, you know, insecurities well, you know, Lars, one of, one of the things, and I, I think, you know, got to point this out is what people often don't realize is everybody, nobody knows everything. And honestly, if we're not learning, we're not growing, you know, and one of the things you were uh, great at was learning. So, you know, I, the performance thing, we really never had uh, a particular, uh, you know, we weren't all that organized around performance management. And you used your research, you used your, you researched, you used your resources and you learned it. Communications, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, and you didn't just shoot from the hip. You would literally uh, go figure out how to, how to do something. And I think that's, uh, that is something that everybody does doesn't do a lot of, a lot of people just that they don't know it. They just shut down, not realizing, Hey, well then go learn it. And I distinctly remember, you know, that skill and that drive in you. And I do think that that's why I had, um, 
all the confidence in the world to give you all of these things. I remember something I gave you internationally uh, because, you know, we were an international company and literally there were we had ticketing operations everywhere. And I remember thinking, gosh, I don't, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we're going to have to figure this out together because it was really something that neither of us had ever done, but you got it done. And, and, uh, cause you went to go figure it out, learned it. And, uh, and as I said, got it done. Yeah. You know, as, as you mentioned that, I think I remember what it was. It was the, uh, the Beijing Olympics. Yes, we got the Beijing yes, Olympics. So we yes, had to develop the whole yes, staffing plan around that. And yes, we've never operated in China. Yeah, exactly. uh, zero experience, zero a kind of on the ground presence. So yeah, yeah that was, uh, that, that, that is was it. interesting. That is it. Yeah. You know, one of the things, so after the, uh, the merger of live nation, you know, you, you left a little bit before that came through. Um, I left soon after, uh, you ended up, uh, over at Cracker Barrel as their CHRO really kind of leading them through uh, some transformation efforts. And, you know, here's another time where you were really uh, instrumental in my own career because I, at that point, I, you know, I'd launched Amplify about a year ago uh, and you basically, uh, you know, you brought me in to be a resource for you to help build. And, you know, looking back and even now, and I talk to, you know, some friends and co contacts and they ask me like where I've worked to my clients and, you know, Cracker Barrel, tends to stand out in a, in a sea of primarily tech and, uh, you know, media companies. And so I'm, I'm curious, like I was probably a very, uh, non-traditional partner from their perspective. Um, why was it important for you to kind of, to, to bring me along on that journey with you? Yeah, well, you know, I, you know, obviously we have stayed in touch and, uh, I always, uh, would w welcome the opportunity to work with you. Uh, anytime. In fact, I think by that time, I probably tried to hire you two or three times <laughs> by then. And you always said no, but I, I, I distinctly remember uh, when we were talking about the work that I needed someone that had the skill set that you did. Uh, it really wasn't altruistic. It really wasn't just because I wanted to work with you. It was because you had something that we really, really needed at Cracker Barrel. And that was, um, I don't know, I think the best way to describe this is, is that uh, we were suffering uh, from a little bit of an identity crisis as an employer. So Cracker Barrel hires, you know, has over 70,000 employees. At that time, 44 states. Uh, and I really wanted, my goal was to make Cracker Barrel an employer of choice. When you think about all of the restaurant companies where people can work, uh, why I wanted them to think of us first. And um, I felt like that, uh, as I said, that we had a little bit of an identity uh, problem uh, in terms of an employer of choice. And the I guess the good news is that it really was a good place to work, but not near enough people knew it. Uh, you know, like I said, 70,000 employees, that's a lot of people. High yeah. turnover that happens just in restaurant companies in general. Um, and so you talked to me about uh, the need for developing an employer branding strategy and then building it out. And that was exactly what we needed. And it made a huge difference 
uh, in the in at, at Cracker Barrel, and I, I distinctly remember uh, Sandy Cochran, our CEO, said this to me, and she she may have said it to you too, but she said, you know, I think Lars is the first consultant that we've ever hired, if she'd ever hired, that she really felt like she got her got her money's worth. <laughs> and, wow. and and listen, that that's a huge compliment. I mean, a lot of companies hire a lot of a lot of consultants and doing a lot of different things, but in her mind, she felt like you were the first consultant where she actually felt like she got her money's worth. And I certainly did. Um, it was exactly what we needed when we needed it. And uh, it made a world of difference in, um, in, in, uh, in frankly, in the whole uh, uh, brand of, of the of Cracker Barrel as an employer. Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. Actually, uh, I, I didn't know that she'd give that feedback. That's definitely, uh, yes, that's, yes. that's Sorry. an honor. Oh, well, five years, five years late. Well, whatever. I yeah. Hey, no, it, it, I still <laughs> feel late good. Than ever. <laughs> you still made me feel good. Yeah. Um, so what is, what is next for you? You know, when you think about, I know you've had a, another CHR role since, uh, since Cracker Barrel and, and I'm curious, like, what is, what is next for you? What do you, what do you, what do you want to do with your career at this point? Yeah, you know, well, I, you know, I'm. I guess I'm at the point in my career where a, a lot of people start to think about retiring. Um, I guess I will probably. I don't think I'll ever retire in the traditional sense. I can't picture uh, you retired. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> just, I, I, I know, right? But I, 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 I probably never will in, in the traditional sense. But I uh, first, the first thing that I'm going to do, I'm actually doing. Uh, I, I, I joined the public company board about a year and a half ago. And I love that work. Uh, it's the leaf group. And, um, oh, yeah. I, I, I love the work I I've been on. Um, uh, uh, it's the first public company board, but I've been on a number of other, uh, nonprofits and, and professional organization boards, including Sherm, by the way. Um, but I can, I, I, and I've been, of course, on the management team on both sides of the board table, if you will. And I have really seen how uh, a good board and good board members can make a meaningful and a great uh, uh, contribution to, to a company or an organization. And uh, I'm really working hard and want to be the very best board member I can be. So I'm on that board. Uh, I'm looking at another. Um, the other thing I'm going to do is, you know, I guess I've had decades, probably decades of coaching and mentoring of all kinds. I've, I actually did a stint as a adjunct professor, uh, at, at university of Oklahoma, which is my alma mater. And I've done some, um, guest lecturing at, uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville, where I, where I live. And I was on an advisory board at SMU and I've been a, a touched I've, I've been, I've touched a lot of students over the years and done a lot of coaching and mentoring of them. And by the way, watching uh, over the years, watching their careers flourish as I do, uh, gives me an awful lot of joy. But one of the things I'm going to do is uh, actually get a, uh, get my certification as an executive coach. Uh, I've actually never had an executive coach all these years. I've never had one. And there have been times in my career where I actually wished I had had a, had a, an executive coach. So I'm going to do that. And then I guess the other thing that uh, I'm planning to do, although I haven't uh, started, is I, I I'm going to write a book. Uh, I have a 
you know, I love to read. A lot of people love to read. And uh, there are a number of uh, books that have made a tremendous impact on my life and my career. And I think I've got a personal and professional story that I'd like to share more of. And uh, I hope that, you know, it'll be helpful, uh, meaningful, and maybe a little entertaining for, for, for folks. So I've got a few things uh, uh, that, that I'm working on. And who knows, you know, I may get a call one day and I'll, I'll go uh, be the head of HR again somewhere. So, you know, we'll see. Well, knowing you, I think the book is going to be uh, all those things and more. So I, I can't wait to read it. Uh, what, you know, when I think about, obviously, the name of this podcast is 21st Century HR. I think if, uh, you know, listeners know me, like that's, you know, a lot of my work, whether it's writing, speaking, uh, you know, this, they all kind of connect back to this idea of, of modern HR and 21st Century HR. And as I mentioned, you know, you were my first, you know, your leadership, your style, your approach was my first real kind of deep introduction to what I kind of now view as 21st century HR. So I, I'm curious from your perspective, like how would you define 21st century HR? Yeah, you know, I, I, I whatever label you give it, Lars, I, I think that what HR must do is evolve. I think, I think, I mean, this is not your mother, your father, your grandmother, father's HR. I mean, um, it, think about, think about, we, we talked about a couple of things just, just in the last 30 minutes or so, you know, working remotely and vacation policy. I mean, those two things are, that with those, doing those things in 2005 or six when we were doing, and we're really cutting edge. Uh, they're not even a thing today. Right. You know, I mean, most companies, uh, you know, it's just get your work done and they've just dispensed with their vacation and PTO policy. Not most, but many. Uh, remote working is is uh, it's what I mean, that's what people do now. Uh, so that means HR has got to evolve. Imagine HR, you know still thinking the way you thought 10 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever, just because some book, some HR book says, this is what you do. Uh, I, I think that um, more and more companies, I think, and this, this is good, but more and more companies are realizing that, I mean, it is, there's the, you don't, you get, you do what you do through the people in your organization and you've got to create, you got to hire the right people and you've got to create a culture and an environment uh, where they can do their best work, where they enjoy it, uh, where they feel valued, respected, treated fairly. Uh, and whatever that means, uh, I do think that HR should be at the, at, the, at the front and the thought partners to make sure that those things can happen to get the work of the company done. And, uh, and it does mean evolving and not being stuck. And it does mean opening your mind. It means listening to your people. You know, one of the things, I, I, I didn't mention this, but I thought about it earlier. One of the things that I believe, one of the leadership skills that I believe are the most underutilized and underrated are listening skills. Yeah. I think leaders often think they've got to be the ones doing all the talking. They've got to have all of the answers when in fact listening um, is, is one of the most important things 
that has to be done. People have something on their mind. They have something they want to say, and they want to know that you're that the leader, your the, their leader is interested. That their their mind is open, and they're going to be heard. And um, I think that's I think that is uh, what what twenty uh, first century HR, or whatever again, whatever label you call it, call it. HR has got to be at the front of making sure that people have what they need to get the work of the companies, uh, the work done uh, in the best possible way. All right, Bevel. I think you've definitely instilled that in me. I mean, this isn't just talk for you. This is how you live your your role, your leadership. It's what you instill in your teams. And uh, I just want to I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been awesome to kind of go down memory lane and, uh, and riff with you a bit, but I also just want to thank you. Uh, you know, you've had such a tremendous impact on my career and I can easily say, I, you know, I definitely would not be doing what I'm doing now without your kind of direction and your leadership and just your, your belief in me and the confidence you had in me. So thank you. Um, I can't, uh, can't thank you enough for that. And I just want to let you know I'm grateful. Well, you're, you're very welcome. You, you inspire me, Lars. And, you know, I, I, I'm in awe of what you're doing. I, I just so appreciate uh, what you're doing to advance uh, our profession. And uh, I could not be prouder of you. So uh, it's all good. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.